kind of system do we live in? We live in a capitalist system, but it's a specific form of capitalism. The American system of capitalism. capitalism. People are afraid of losing their status in the society. We were born capitalists. All those dynamics are constantly swirling in the American imagination. This is Dr. Edgar Rivera Colon, and this is Karl Marx Ape My Field Notes. Welcome back to uh, Karl Marx Ape My Field Notes. This is Edgar Rivera Colon, and um, we're on our sixth episode today. And today we're going to talk about discernment. Um, the old language for it is discernment of spirits, which is sort of sounds spooky. But it's not really spooky. Um, first, we'll we'll go through a few things that I need to uh, talk about uh, from our last episode. And uh, people send me like notes or something saying you said this, and and we didn't understand what you were saying. And I and I understand. I'm glad people are doing that. Um, one was legitimation crisis by uh, this guy named Jurgen Habermas, who was a famous sort of. Marxist theoretician. He talked about the public sphere. But what he meant by legitimation crisis is when the institutions of society no longer have credibility uh, on a mass level, when people no longer believe in these institutions. And clearly, since 2008, and even before that, in the United States and all over the world, really, we've seen people turn away from institutions and realize the corruption, the violence, uh, the wanton power uh, that's located in them. And these are all institutions, the market, the government, church, you know, all these things. So that's what I meant by legitimation crisis. And I'm going to talk today about uh, discernment and just give you a simple definition. Uh, discernment in its simplest uh, form or to be able to discern is the ability to see the circumstances of one's life and make an appropriate and good decision, right? To look at the information, to do your head work, thinking, your heart work, if you will, your and also your emotional work and spiritual work so you can make a good decision. When I talk about discernment, what we're really pushing at is this question of the passions of the soul. That's an old term, again, from that uh, Dominican friar Aquinas he uses that term passions of the soul and I also got some uh, some feedback on Dominican is he from the Dominican Republic no he's part of a he was part of a, a group of friars who was you know the church always has these groups that are trying to reform the church like the Franciscans and Dominicans and he was part of that group and uh, wrote this huge book called the Summa um, so the idea here when I when we talk about discernment the way I use it is discernment is the ability to pay attention to the movements of your soul, if you will, or the passions of the soul, and to see inside and out, inside of you and outside of you, where things are going, right? To see what those motions are. Are there motions or passions of the soul that are moving you towards greater freedom to uh, touch reality in a deeper way, maybe to, to touch God right? and others, or is it uh, the passions that are moving you towards the nightmare of the ego, the nightmare of the enclosed subject, a windowless individual, hmm? the narcissism that 
people get involved in in our commodity culture that really destroys them emotionally and is destroying the planet physically. So that's what I think uh, discernment is. But we're going to go back to basics again. And again, we're building this critical vocabulary, but we're also aware that every thought has a feeling. Every feeling has a thought that we've separated these things um, in our sort of enlightenment, if you will, uh, modern sense, but they're not separate. Uh, they, they, they're connected. They build on each other. They're not constant dialogue. They need each other. So let's go back to basics. What about this question of love? And what I'm going to do for you or uh, today, actually, is again, read an ancient text. And the paradox of this, uh, of this podcast is that because I have a, a strong spiritual formation and intellectual formation, and I'm fairly conversant in Marxism and in forms of Western theology, spirituality and anthropology, all those things, plus other stuff. Um, I don't really have a problem with using ancient texts. I think that you can readapt them for modern day, uh, you know, issues, crises, concerns. So this is another ancient text from, it must be, so the 16th century in this case. And it's uh, part of a book called The Spiritual Exercises of Ignatius Loyola. And I'll tell you more about that as our podcast increases. But just listen to this sort of contemplation. He, told, he calls it the contemplation to attain the love of God. But I think you could uh, just talk about love. You don't need to talk about God, although God is central in the case of the original text. But what he does in this contemplation is he always sets up the people who are doing the contemplation. He's, you know, obviously he was a, you know, a control freak and big into ordering things because he founded an order that's still in existence to this very day. But this spiritual exercise he used basically to help people get to a point where they can make good decisions according to the parameters of his culture and his day. But in our case, let's just pay attention to the two points where he asks the people who are doing this contemplation to prepare themselves to move into the main body of this text. And he says, before presenting this exercise, it will be good to call attention to two points. First, the first is that love ought to manifest itself in deeds rather than in words. In hechos, en vez de palabras, in the Spanish. Second point. The second is that love consists in a mutual sharing of goods. For example, the lover gives and shares with the beloved what they possess or something of that which they are able to give and vice versa, the beloved shares with the lover. Hence, if one has knowledge, they share it with the one who does not possess it. And so also if one has honors or riches, thus one always gives to the other. Now this is a very simple idea that the radicality of love is in this constant sharing of gifts, of whatever is, whatever it is that you have and emptying out in one sense to the other and the other emptying out to you. And it's between these two people that we can build this idea of love. Now, there's a lot more to the contemplation than what I just said, but I just wanted to begin there because oftentimes we have a sense of love 
that's individualized, when in fact love is this constant process of sharing. And I talked about last time this question of discernment. Um, how do you get to a point where you can do discernment, revolutionary discernment, in this time of crisis, uh, where we have a capitalism that is almost intent on destroying the planet? Uh, we have the resurgence of white supremacy in the United States uh, in terms of the white nationalist movement and the Republican Party, which has basically become an ethno-national white party. Um, and we have the constant battering of the basic social benefits of people uh, who are working, who are plain working people in this country and throughout the world. Um, how do you get to the point where you can discern? Huh? And discernment um, is about understanding what's going on, but also seeing the possibilities, the new possibilities for a future. And, and what I mean by that is that first attend to your desires. That in order to do proper discernment, you have to do a, a, what I call a desires inventory. You have to begin to look at yourself and see where are my desires. Or we can call them passions of the soul if you want. I like desire, a more modern turn in certain ways. But the idea is, where are my desires leading? I, I work with young people all the time. I work with graduate students and undergraduates. And the most difficult question I can ask any of them is, what do you want? And generally, they'll say, what do you mean by what do you want? I mean, what is it that you can say about your desires? What kind of inventory can you make of it? And of those desires, which one leads you to freedom? to deeper senses of connecting to others, to a non-commodified life, a life that's about action in the world and loving in the world, and which one of them are really about your own selfish agenda, your own narcissism, your own desire to be safe in a world where no one is safe. Hmm? So I think that, that when we start doing that inventory, we begin the process of discernment. And it's not a, a, a strictly mental thing. It's not what you're thinking. It's that passion part. It's that soul motion, if you will. And remember, my idea of the soul is not individual. Uh, and I think this idea of the soul not being individual is not particularly mine. But it's the idea that soul occurs between people when they're devoted and committed to each other in the process of collective development. And you do that discernment to see how you can lift the barriers to your freedom to do the most humane, human thing we can do, which is to love. And love is always in public, as Dr. Cornell West constantly reminds us, justice. So, so I'll ask people, you know, what do you want? And then also we have to look at the conjuncture. In, I, I don't know if, I think I've mentioned this, that I, I had the, uh, I guess the privilege to spend time in Central America in the late 80s uh, during one revolution and another civil war. And uh, one of the things that I learned was this term, eh, coyuntura politica the political conjuncture. What are the forces at play? Uh, where are the forces of reaction, basically, people who don't want freedom, what I call unfreedom? Where are the forces of freedom? What are the relative strengths? 
and how are this how are these working out and how do we analyze the political conjuncture the how things are are sort of connecting and not connecting to intervene to make an intervention on the side of freedom you also have to do that with uh, what is called this discernment of spirits uh, or what i like to call revolutionary discernment you have to not just attend to the passions, or if you will, the moments, movements of your soul, if you will. You have to attend to the spiritual political conjuncture that is around us. What are the forces at play? What are the, what are, how are the forces of unfreedom organized? How do they create forms of desire, forms of, of, uh, of, of visions, if you will, or a, a, what kind of political imaginary or imagination pool or reservoir is being developed by these uh, f- these unfreedom forces, if you will, and what is, is occurring in terms of the freedoms of the forces of freedom. Um, and that's an important sort of dis- you know, ability to be able to see where we are. And you have to be sober about it. You have to be sober about this kind of what I like to call... Um, the analysis or the discernment of the political and spiritual conjuncture. You can't sell yourselves goods. You have to say, these are our strengths. These are our weaknesses. This is where we are. These are our real capacities. And this other thing here is where we would like to be, but we're learning how to build the processes under which we will get there. So you can't buy your own party line. You have to see the reality for what it is. And that's a very key term in Latin American liberation theology, which basically made me a, a neo-Marxist. Uh, la realidad. You know, not your fantasies, but what is the reality? Right now in the United States, uh, we can see this split, right? This profound split uh, between what I would consider the more conservative forces of capitalism that want to return to a past that never existed, but has great appeal to people. And then this other form, which I would call cosmopolitan liberal uh, capitalism, if you will, uh, where uh, it's less restrictive, uh, it's socially inclusive, but the question of the economy, the question of basically power remaining in the hands of of a white elite uh, really never gets uh, addressed. The system itself, the property system, the race system, the gender system, gets addressed in certain ways, but not fundamentally. So, so these are the, the kind of splits we can see on the terrain uh, of America. And it seems to me that those of us who are on the left, uh, who are, whether we're religious uh, leftists or secular leftists, we have to do uh, an analysis of the actual political conjuncture, what's happening, what are people doing? How are people surviving during this time? So discernment is, uh, part of it is your head work. You're thinking through what it is, right? Part of it is where are we in terms of this conjuncture? And this is an interesting point that the great uh, Marxist uh, from Peru, uh, Carlos Marietegui, um, I'm actually reading a, a book on, on Marietegui right now, um, and I'll actually quote him one of these days on the show. But the basic idea that, or the, the, the brilliance of Maria Tegui, um, who lived only to be, I think, 36 years old, the poor guy. Um, and he's part of the earliest 20th century history of Peru, Peruvian Marxism, uh, Peruvian letters and thoughts, was he, he thought that um, 
capitalism's basic social myth is progress. And that what socialism need to develop was needed to develop was a, a new form of social myth, which for him it would be freedom or liberation. And in the Peruvian context, what his great sort of insight was, if 80% of the population is indigenous, they already have a cosmology, they already have a worldview, they understand the ethos of collectivity. What, what do I mean by ethos? I mean, not just the structure, but the emotional and dream life of a people, they come with it. That's what I'm talking about. And what we need to do on the left the United States is create a better social myth for change. And progress won't do it for us because progress um, solely uh, will only get us to an environmental crisis if, if we're just, just using capitalist means. So you can see this spiritual piece. And, you know, uh, Maritegui was a stone-cold atheist, but he understood that to really um, have a Peruvian form of Marxism, you had to encounter the indigenous majority. And he wrote this beautiful book called Seven Interpretive Essays on the Reality of Peru, which I really suggest people read. And he's saying that you have to look at the social, cultural, religious parts of folks, parts of a culture, and see what's there already that is creating these kind of freedom spaces for people. So when I talk about spiritual discernment, I always want people to, to think about, or if you will, discernment of spirits or revolutionary discernment, I encourage people to move to that place where it's no longer about you. And this is the paradox, isn't it? That the things that appear to be most me are actually external to me. That's the, the sort of almost the paradox, but also a mystical element to it. The whole point of any tradition, spiritual, political, what have you, is to get you beyond it, to get you to touch that reality, to get you to grow your soul and not do it individually. Individualism is killing us. It's literally making us sick and violent and uh, unhappy and God knows lonely. So the idea is that the discernment or revolutionary discernment is always about the political conjuncture, where are the forces of freedom and unfreedom. All of us have to make our individual discernment, but it has to be linked to the outside, to political struggles, to struggles for social justice, to the amplification of what Dr. King called the beloved community, right? That in one sense, we have to understand, as CLR James reminded us so many times, that the future is in the present. And you have to be able to discern that, to see the, the form of it, even if it's not completely, you know, emerged yet, to get that gut sense that that's new. So, for example, just to give you an example, if you look at the artwork of Basquiat, Jean-Michel Basquiat, you'll see that he's prefiguring uh, what New York would become, but also seeing history as going in multiple directions. And that's why he has all these figures from his Haitian background, his New York background, his Africa, uh, all the scenes of the art world that he was, you know, sort of dealing with. 
So I'm going to talk more about this sermon as my po- as this podcast develops and certainly more about love. And it's revolutionary love that we're always looking for. And I mean, what Marx understood that many people don't is that we're most human in the possibility of creating, of laboring on ourselves and others. But the position that allows us to get there is a type of radical listening. And I'm going to end today's uh, uh, episode with a quote from one of my favorite people, uh, William Stringfellow, who was a theologian and a lawyer and basically a, a troublemaker. And yeah, here's the quote. I think you'll enjoy it. Open quote. Listening is a rare habit among human beings. You cannot listen to the word another is speaking if you are preoccupied with your appearance or impressing the other, or if you're trying to decide what you're going to say when the other stops talking, or if you're debating about whether the word being spoken is true or relevant or agreeable. Such matters have their place, but only after listening to the word as the word is being uttered. Listening in other words is a primitive act of love in which a person gives themselves to another's word, making themselves accessible and vulnerable to the word. Listening is an ancient form of love. And that's the first thing you do in discernment. You listen to the passions of the soul that you think is inside. Then you look outside to that conjuncture and you begin to make the analysis of where will the freedom spaces be? Where are they? Where can we build them? So it's been wonderful today. It's our sixth episode and I will see you next time to talk about this uh, discernment and uh, spirituality and revolution, as always, uh, by thinking hard, living hard, and loving hard, we are going to change this place.